So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the No Sense of Direction podcast. I am your host, Albert James. I have my friend Marcus with me. How you doing, Marcus? I'm good. I'm good. So, we're going to let Steve introduce himself. Steve, take it away. Indeed. Um, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on this program. And, um, you know, I'm Steve Prince, uh, Director of Engagement and uh, Distinguished Artist in Resident at the Muscarella Museum at William & Mary University. And um, uh, first and foremost, I'm an artist and I'm also an educator. Oh, good, man. You know, we're, we're truly grateful to have you on our show. Um, but this is like kind of expanding our outreach because no sense of direction means we just reach out to any idea, any free spirit, you know, that want to come on our show and just, you know, message spread their message so we have no one niche and you are the perfect candidate for show so can you explain to us your art uh what type of art that you do and how'd you get into it absolutely um i mean i'm primarily known as a printmaker and also known for my drawing um but i i like to look at my artwork in a way in which i create very much like a, a linguist would look at, at languages in that um, I'm trying to verse myself in as many different artistic languages as I possibly can. So I don't really put any bounds upon myself to basically put myself within any particular category in terms of being a creative. So um, so if that means I'm creating with paper or creating with clay or creating with metal or creating with paint, um, any one of those things, it becomes a language in which I can be able to cre- create or communicate with or through. And I'm very, uh, or should I say, deeply interested in the human condition, in particular, things that circulate around my body, you know, growing up in the South and down in New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, and growing up as a Black man in the South, and ways in which I've been able to use my artwork, not only as a catalyst to create space for me, which mean create space for me to live, um, to, to put food upon my table, but I've also used it as a means of speaking about the different issues that have been happening societally and as a way of which I can raise awareness. I can be used artwork as a catalyst, used artwork as a means of challenging not only myself because I'm the first, you know, the fruit of the work in which I create, but I'm also looking at the ways in which the artwork can be utilized as a tool to raise awareness about different issues and things that are going on in society and spur us to make change. Um, so I, I, I look at artwork through a very, uh, you know, a critical lens and not just simply as something that's going to um, be beautiful upon the wall from an aesthetic standpoint. I'm looking at the artwork in terms of that it is an opportunity for us to help us to remember to remember because it's so important for us to remember the things that have taken place in the past in order for us not to repeat those things, but also to begin to give us a vision about who we can be. And I think that the artist as visionary has those kind of that particular role societally in which we can play. So when we're talking about art and black art in particular, mm-hmm. you know, that that hits many genres. You know, music is an art form. Uh, dance is an art form. Film, um, film is a definitely art form. How do you see how are we? as black people expressing what's going on today as in social justice 
we are really at a crossroads where we're still after all these years after 50 years still trying to get equal rights under the justice system how, how do you feel about how the black artists are out there uh, portraying their art and trying to get across to the mainstream yeah um I, I think that's a critical question that you're raising and and i believe that you know in particular black artists um across the board and in all those different w- ways in which you talk about expression like you said dance and um, um visual arts music uh film um documentaries all those forms uh, of creating are ways in which we have uh, have operated in many different ways in terms of putting pressure upon systems that have been exclusionary towards us, but also the ways in which we have used it um, as a tool to to bespeak of our beauty, our brilliance, um, of of us being uh, equal to any human being upon this planet. And um, and I just think about generationally how it shifted. You know, I think about the access that I have as an artist as a creative is so far and greatly different from that which my my father and my and my my mother had um and but they laid it on the line they sacrificed they created space and by by agitating by speaking truth to power by empowering us and telling me and my siblings that we were not only beautiful but we were brilliant um, and that for us to to dream and to try to achieve those dreams. And of course, the key or the catalyst for achieving those dreams is for my parents' generation was about education. And so you push, you know, my parents pushed us um, in the household to to acquire the education and and whatever that dream is that you wanted to do, you to you were to go ahead and work really hard to make it happen. Um, but you believed in the gifts that, you, that were planted in you already from birth. So there was a strong sense of spirituality that was embedded within my family in terms of upbringing. Um, But if I explode that model and I think about other black families and other uh, communities that I have circulated in, you know, not only that have I lived in, but that I've circulated in across the nation, across this nation, you know, there's there are echoes of my story connected to other brothers and other sisters um, in terms of what they went through and what I went through and what we are going through. And uh, and then we think about all these issues, like you said, yeah, you know, we've been fighting for 50 years. You know, that's basically the course of my life um, that we've been fighting um, and so forth. And it is it is so important that when you talk about change and for change to truly happen, it's going to take it's going to take our lifetime and then some. Um, and and you think about the damages that have been planted, not only within this nation, but what has been planted globally as relates to inequities across the board. Those things were planted for multiple years. So how long does it take to uproot those things? How long does it take to get rid of those weeds? How long does it take to, to, to deconstruct those power structures? How long does it take people to shift their perception in terms of seeing things that they don't see? You know, things that they have refused to see, you know, and how 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 hard are people's hearts in relationship to all these things? So there's so many layers to it that it it is it is requiring, I think, for us to be steadfast and to stand our ground and to continue to teach and preach and work against these systems that have been designed to to basically keep us in one particular place and not have us excel. 
and, um, and, and to continue to work in the face of them and continue to create space for others who are to come because we have a responsibility for that next generation that's to come. So what, what are we going to do now? So I don't want to hog your time. I'm going to turn this over to Marcus after I ask this one question. Mm -hmm. All right. Education. How, you, you, if you notice that art in any form mm -hmm. is missing out of elementary schools, that's the first thing they cut when they cut the budget. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to push art back to our kids? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the key thing is, is that art just don't operate in the schools, you know, and I think about when I first got exposed to art, the art in my household, shoot, this is pre-computer, this is encyclopedias, these are books, you know, that's where my artwork was, was at, and my artwork was in one of the greatest things that any artist understands or learns or knows, and what I teach is, is mimicry, you copy what is out there, and you try your best to replicate those things. And so in, in the process of that mimicry and process of you building the skill set in order to actually replicate, you then begin to invigorate it through your imagination. How do you take that knowledge that you've learned of how to construct or make something and then make something else that comes straight out of your head? You know, and that, that's one of the, actually one of the hardest things to kind of teach. But, but all I to say to, in response to your question still is that that learning um, um, in terms of the arts, it is not located you know, we can't we can't just look to the schools as just a space where it can be learned. Um, yeah, that's an important place where we should push it, that it should be in there. But it is all is all about the enrichment. It's all about creating other experiences. You know, we are in a societal structure right now that we have so much more access than, again, generations before us had. And um, so there's so many ways in which we can get the information and get the knowledge. And, and education is turned on, on top of his head. I mean, how many people, how many artists that I've run into over the years, and I'm talking like recent years, in the past 25 years, I'm talking about that, you know, they've learned a ton of information right off the internet. <laughs> and, and, and not just the internet, but they learned it from other people in which they interacted with uh, uh -huh. once they did get in person. So everything is shifting, man. Everything is in, it's so, so different, but it's not very different from the standpoint that I remember that I didn't really get any critical art training or teaching until I was in high school. Okay. And, oh, and then okay. I really, really got the critical art training once I got to college. But before then, it was, I was on my own. I was, everything I was learning, I was learning on my own. I was picking up comic books. I was picking up encyclopedias. I was oh, wow. reading books. And I was I was pulling on information, you know, and um, and, you know, it's because I was, I was hungry for it, you know, and I wanted to learn it and I want to be exposed to it. And I put in those, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, you know, that's what I was doing, uh, drawing all the time, just drawing, drawing, drawing and not just drawing to be for drawing sake, drawing and, and, and questioning, investigating and trying to understand how did such and such did that particular thing with their drawing. How did they get those tones, those values, whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's what it is. And so if we can instill that level of hunger um, in terms of learning and investigating, uh, we, we gotta, we gotta expose not only our children, but we gotta expose our communities to these opportunities to, to be able to be engaged with these different artists that are all around us. Marcus, go ahead. Yes. Um, I got uh, probably three questions. My first one is who were your influences? Mm -hmm. 
my first influence was um, my my brother, um, who was um, was like eight years older than me. Okay. And um, he he is also an artist um, now. And but back then, as a kid, you know, little brother looking up to big brother, so that was the first influence. Uh, another thing is in my household, what which was a major influence in terms of creativity, imagination. Um, just I just thinking about all the different ways in which one can create. Um, just thinking about just the creative way in which my dad uh, manicured our our yard. You know, we had like an award winning yard on the block. Uh, uh, the way he sculpted that that the landscape and the bushes around. Ah, the pride. I see that. Yes, that's the pride. You know, I see that in terms of the. Uh, not just the pride, but it was there was an artistic way in which he was arriving at picking up those curves and and the the type of foliage that was blending together inside the yard. I think about the creative ways in which my mom um, operated in the kitchen. You know how she can stretch a meal and how she pulled together different things. And I would ask her, say, Mom, you know, where'd you learn that from? She says, Steve, I just made this up. You know, I just I pulled these things together and I put this a little bit of this and a little bit of that. What was the measurements for that? Boy, I don't use measurements. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, where do you get this from? How do you get this? You know, I and just I, made it. I wanted to know. You know, yeah. yeah, that stuff goes back in time. You know, the stuff gets passed on. You know, then I think about my grandmothers, um, my grandmother and uh, my great grandmother, um, in the quilting traditions in our family, the, in particular uh, the patchwork quilt tradition, and how that gets passed on. And I remember sleeping under those dang on quilts, big old heavy freaking quilts in the same <laughs> time. And you know, when your mom tucked you in, you couldn't turn over because dang. Oh no, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever position you fell asleep in, that was it. You better not have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> nah. If you did, you know, you just had an accident. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but nonetheless, I, I, I remember all those spaces of of imagination, of thought, of creativity. Uh, of an improvisational response to the environment, you it know, was just instinctive. Yeah, yeah, but but it's a response though. It's yeah. like it's out of necessity. It's out of need, and you you figure it out. You know, my mom and my dad had four kids, mm-hmm. and I never had to want for anything. Oh, okay. You know, everything was provided. You know, they hustled, and you know, my dad had two, three other little side jobs that he was doing. You know, everything was legal. And it was never not somebody knocking on my door talking about, well, your dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to take him away for a little while. Yeah. No, that never happened. You know, and again, it was about the instilling of the values in terms of us as kids, in terms of what we were trying to do, you know, how we should be, how we should conduct ourselves, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And then my, my, my other influence, again, like I said, through encyclopedias, I can just list off a whole slew of different artists that I was attracted to. And one of them being was Michelangelo. Okay. And uh, deeply, uh, and then another one was Leonardo da Vinci. And of course, Actually, these, you these went are right one, into my next question. Yeah, these are the artists that are canonized, you know, that are in the books. You know, I didn't see black artists mm. coming up. The first time that I saw a black artist and that I could even name one to you was when I got to college. And I was very fortunate to be able to go to an HBCU, which was able to ah. Louisiana. And that's when the true learning took place. Um, Actually, you could elaborate more because I was going to ask uh, who are some prominent artists yeah. that you can name off that maybe some that we don't know um, and go yeah. on with who you do know. 
absolutely um i mean you may or may not well one of them i know you probably don't know is who's my art professor but he was a profound artist his name was john scott okay and um and he was the one where i modeled a lot of myself behind once i got to xavier i saw in him everything that i wanted to be and um i mean i saw him from what he was as a family man what he was as uh, a visual artist and his approach and why he did the work man i learned so much from him he he profoundly influenced me oh he filled the mentor role for you he did oh he was okay. absolutely a mentor he was like a second father to me that's how close we were oh um yeah i mean i mean i was like real close in with his family i knew his wife his kids he had five children i was connect i was friends with all of them okay. and um i just wanted to know it all uh, other artists that influenced me like elizabeth catlett um uh charles white john biggers uh smell lewis uh, i said john biggers um these are those are like my top top list okay of artists that that i you know that whose works that i love that i admire that you will see resonances of their work in my work um and that that's undeniable i, I get people that always see my work and they say oh oh i see a little john biggers and oh i see a little charles white oh i see a little uh, okay any one of those artists you name um you're going to see those works they, they're in my work and i and i do not deny it <laughs> okay nice um let me think what do you wish to accomplish what message do you want to convey with your art if i see a steve prince mm -hmm. artwork what would you like it to say to me well that there's a there's a i have a varied response to that but um i can be specific uh with that but i would say from a general standpoint uh, i'll give you a general specific answer on that mm -hmm. um from the general level um, I, I said on the onset, which is I'm speaking about the human condition. I'm yes. speaking about things that are taking place in um, in our societal structure or our societal fabric, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, one thing that I know is that the, the, the strongest place that one can speak from is a space that they know and they understand. Uh -huh. You know, I'm not talking to you about stuff, conditions and things going on in South Africa. No. Yeah, I've been there and I lived, I stayed there for one month, uh -huh. but that's not enough. Yeah, need to speak critically about that particular area. Now, I can speak about South Africa or other parts of this world from an empathetic level to see that they may have different challenges that I may have read or that kind of thing. But to really, truly know any place, you got to speak from a place that you know and understand. And mm -hmm. and so I know I understand what it means to be a black man in America. Yes, uh, I know and understand what it means to grow up in the South. You know, I know and understand. You know, growing up in the um, in the in the in the, um, a, a community that was predominantly white, um, and navigating that, okay. um, and still maintaining yourself, you know, still maintaining your own, I like that, and not being subsumed by the community or communal structure or space in which you are operating in. You're speaking your truth. Indeed, that's yeah. it. I mean, you can't. That's the only one you can speak. That's true. You know, and so that's that's where I work and operate from, and that's why I say. That's why I said in my statement about Xavier University being so critical to me is because it came at the absolute right moment in my life um, that that fortified me in ways in which I think if I went to a different institution, I don't know if I would have been fortified the same way. Uh, um, I, I can't say that because I didn't experience any other Of course, way. yeah. Did. But I know what I got from going to Xavier. Uh, I know how I felt. And I know what I thought about the world around me 
uh, when I left from that institution. And I know when I went to Michigan State for graduate school, uh -huh. I at first I felt I didn't feel like I was prepared or I was ready for it. Uh -huh. And a lot of it was because I was intimidated by the size of the institution. Yes. I was intimidated by their resources that I didn't have at Xavier. Uh -huh. And, you know, I came from a small school at the time when I was there. I had 2,500 students there. Ah, uh, yeah. I went to Michigan State. Michigan State way bigger than It was 40,000 plus. It was, a, it was a city I went to. Yeah. You know, so you come from a little, you know, you come from New Orleans, come from a little small school like that. You know, you thought you were on top of the world when you get there, like, oh my goodness. Oh, no. Culture shock. Yeah. Reality check. Yeah, it was. But yeah. when I started operating there, then I started realizing, I said, wait a minute. I'm I'm not only am I prepared, I'm think I'm I'm like better prepared than a lot of these people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I said it's like the 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 fog or the the stereotypic window that I had in my mind about the other yeah. started crumbling in front of me. Okay. And I started realizing how strong and how beautiful my own voice was. Not only how beautiful and strong was my voice, how beautiful was I? Okay. When I looked, when I looked in that mirror. And that reflection in my life that I really, truly began to love myself. And I realized all the way up to that point that I didn't truly love myself. Oh, wow. And so I, you had a revelation there. It was a revelation there. Wow. It, it, it was a, it was cathartic. And that, that foundationally anchored me in terms of my work you know i'll tell you a little story you know it's like i you know i've done quite a bit of travel with my artwork and so i was in canada mm -hmm. uh in winnipeg in particular so i'm up there man in winnipeg man, and man um and i'm gonna skate through a story real quick just get down to the heart of it so on one of the last days i was there i was with this host family and, and i was in this predominantly white community and as a matter of fact i was in this church and i was the only black person in the entire church on <laughs> sunday i went with this family yeah so I'm standing all the way to the left. And if you can imagine in your mind's eye, this thing is arced like a, like a half circle. Like, yeah. And I was all the way to the left with this family and they singing the songs and stuff is up on the projection screen and we all going through it. And I looked my head to the right and two things I noticed. One, I was, a, I was the tallest person in the church. <laughs> <laughs> I was the blackest person in the church. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And it, it, it kind of hit me like quick, but then I just went right back to singing the songs, you know? Uh -huh. So I'm good. You yeah. know, because I'm I'm finding who I am, wherever I'm at. And I just happened to notice it, it took me about halfway into the service to realize that I was the only black person in the church. And but that you were so comfortable. comfortable with yourself. You but didn't I'm care. comfortable with myself. So yes. check it out. So we finished at the church. My host family says to me, say, yo, Steve, you know, we, we we've been on the schedule for weeks and we, we got to greet people for the church. And so we're going to leave you alone for just a minute. But there's some there's some donuts and there's some drinks and such such in the in the, um, in, you know, in the multipurpose room. Uh -huh. You walk into it. And I said, yeah, I said, yo, guy name was Gerald. I said, Gerald, I'm good. Okay. So I walked off. I walked into the gymnasium and it was like a multi-purpose gymnasium kind of space. They had tables, with little donuts and coffee and whatever. I'm getting my little drink. I got my little plate. I'm walking around. I'm actually looking around. I'm looking at architecture. That'll tell you how geeky I get. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, sitting around. I'm looking at the walls. I'm looking at how stuff is joined together. I'm looking at the way in which they actually use the space. And I'm thinking about the multi-purpose use of it. Then this woman walks up to me. Uh -huh. I look down at her. <laughs> She's like... You, I wish I, I wish you could see me so you can see my, my whole body expression because she can't, yeah. she's almost squirming. She's like, well, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing fine. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, oh, you know, I, I hope you enjoyed the service. And I said, yes, I had a wonderful time. I enjoyed the service. And she's like, well, I know 
I, I know it's quite it's, it's, it's very different from where you where you come from. <laughs> oh. And I just looked at it and I said, no, I said it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> like you came from Mars. You know? <laughs> I said it's exactly the same. Same thing. Nothing's different. She's like, she you should see the look on her face. Her eyes is lit up and she's like taken aback by that because I shattered her stereotypic construction, which she thought it was. Yep. And what I was challenging was is that she saw a black man and she said she had all the visions of what a black church. Yep. And it had to be different from hers. Yeah. And you so tore that wall down. I need you to confirm this. That's what she said to me, more or less. And I, I love you shattered her reality. And I'm like, no, it's exactly the same. I said, let me see. Y'all sang some songs, y'all talked about Jesus, and then we left out of it. It's exactly the same. <laughs> you know? And then she said, oh, oh, I love you. I'm like, yeah, thank you. What else? You know, what else you want to say to me? What else you want to ask him? You know, you were the story of the week for her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, but there's a presumption of knowing that she exerted right there. And yeah. I'm like, no, don't sit and make up some other stuff and make up some other analogies and other constructs that's beyond the reality that I'm a human being. I'm in the Christian church. And I say, if y'all were not, I would have, you would be having this conversation with me because I would have been gone. <laughs> I would have, I would have walked if I didn't think I could, or if I need to run, I would have ran, <laughs> and I would bolo'd over all you little short jokers up in this church. So anyway, <laughs> now nah, I'm just being funny now, but nonetheless, in all seriousness, I would have been up out of there. <laughs> yeah. <I'm done. laughs> hey Steve, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, where do you go from here? Like, uh -huh. you're you're in the art um, atmosphere. Um, you're conquering it. You're 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 settled into it. Yes. Anything outside of this parameter you want to conquer? Well, I, I I think the the thing is is that as an artist and as a creative, you know, at one point in my life, I was I looked at things through that lens of you know being a quote unquote famous artist, you know, being written about, being in books, and I guess, I guess in all elements, aspects of that, I have achieved that. You know, am I a household name? In some houses I am, yes. <laughs> you know, but, you know and, uh, and I, my artwork is in many people's houses all across this nation, around this world. Okay. And, um, but do I have household name recognition? No, I don't have that. Um, is my artwork in books? Yes, my artwork's in books and on the covers of books. Okay. Is my, um, you know, do I have galleries that represent my work? They're all across this country. Have I shown in museums? Yes, I've shown in several museums all across this country and a few internationally. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm the, the work is a process. It yeah. is one by which you do it every day until you can't do it anymore. And so I am thankful, I'm grateful that I have the ability to do the work. And that is where I've, that's what I had to learn when I was like an undergrad, you know, past all those kind of constructs in my head about the art world and about being better than this person or being the best and all these kind of things. Mm. I think there's so much miseducation that we learn about artists and about what this field requires. And what it requires is it requires sacrifice, it requires um a doggedness um it does require a certain kind of mindset a conquering mindset 
one that is aggressive mm. in order to be successful in this kind of market. And um, and and but at the same token, I'm I'm also a believer that if I love the work I do, I am pretty sure there's a bunch of people, other people out there love the work I do too. Mm. Everybody has an audience for the work they do. Because I'm not alone in terms of what I can see, what I consider to be beautiful, what I consider to be uh, wonderful, what I consider to be profound works of art. There are others out there that believe those same, that believe, that align with my principles. And those who don't, they're never going to buy my work. They're never going to look at it with through the lens of, uh, oh, that's beautiful, that's brilliant artwork. They're just not going to look at it. And that's not my audience. That's not your audience. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, do me a favor. I want yeah. you to sit back. Mm-hmm. I want you to li- listen to me for a second. I have a 12-year-old daughter. She'll be 13 December 24th. Yes. She has inherited her mother's creative mind. Like I I tell my wife and I haven't told her in a while. I'm sorry, dear, but I tell her all this. My wife is the most creative person I ever met. I she, can second that. <laughs> she um she just has this beautiful mind. My wife is beautiful. But she has mm-hmm. a beautiful mind. She will make t-shirts. Mm-hmm. She will make uh, for any situation. I say, hey, baby, I got a dinner. She would decorate it. She will make placements. She makes greeting cards. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, even though she's uh, she'll be thirteen, she's inheriting my wife's um, beautiful mind. Mm-hmm. So what I want you to do is pretend that you are in a classroom mm-hmm. or in a basketball court and you have 10, 15, 12, 13 year old little girls that are creative that have no sense of direction what to do with this talent. How would you inspire them to pursue their dreams? Oh. Indeed. That's a that's a beautiful uh, vision. Uh, yeah, I like that. And um, in this one, I, I first want to acknowledge just a beautiful tribute to your wife and the acknowledgement of the gift that has been planted in her, but also the acknowledgement of that gift that has been passed on to your daughter. That's love. That that is that's that's first and foremost. I wanted to just acknowledge the beauty that's there and just everything you just said and painting this picture for me to be there yeah. um, and, and also to be in this space. You know, the classroom space is one of my favorite places to be. And working with youth is one of my favorite groups of people to actually work with. Um, I've taught on middle school, high school, community college, four-year private, four-year public over the course of my career. I've taught a lot. And I've worked with elementary level like level kids, and I work with the retirement community. But back to that, that bracket that you're talking about, you know, that 10, 12, 13, 14-year-old bracket, that's a critical, critical age. And they're very fragile in that moment, fragile emotionally, because they are hormones are shifting and they're growing and they got all kinds of peer pressure pushing at them, tugging at them. They have a a very warped perception of themselves. 
um, in terms of how they see themselves in the mirror. They think that their nose is too big, their eyes are too big, their lips are too big, their hair is not long enough, they're too short, they're too long. All these things, they've gone through all these pressures and powers and they got too much media all around them that's telling them they're not beautiful enough, they need to wear this makeup, they need to put on these clothes in order to be cool. And they got all this stuff coming out from every direction. And now they got the added thing of social media and they got things that are on there in terms of Instagram and Snapchats and TikToks and all this stuff that's constantly bombarding and hitting them. One of the things that I would do to a group like that, if I had them in a classroom, I would basically get them to just focus on me and I would say, repeat after me. I say, everybody in the room say, I am. And I want them all to say it to the top of their lungs. I, then I would say, I want you to say, I can. And I want it to the top of their lungs. I want you to say, I will top of your lungs and I would get them to do it several times chanting and getting them louder every single time but now I said let me let you know what that means I am means I am somebody I can I can do anything if I put my mind to it I will I will succeed at whatever I do I would set that spirit at the very beginning of my interaction with them and get them to understand the power of those words and get them to believe those words because I want them to first go into whatever they're doing with a positive mindset because anything that you try to do, it has to be done through labor. It has to be done through work. It has to be done through dedication. It has to be done through repetition because anything that you've done to this point has been done that way and it's proven because nobody came out of their mother's womb walking. It was true. No one came out of their mother's womb talking. Mm. All this stuff was done by your observation, your learning, your picking up and people standing over you and say, oh, look how beautiful you are. Oh, look (laughs) at that baby. Oh, get back up, honey. Keep on walking. And then next thing you know, you're running and then people are not saying anymore because it's something that's what you do. But the idea that anything that you endeavor to do, you know, you have to just put in the time and you have to put in the focus, but you also have to reach out for the community. And you're standing here looking at a person who's in front of you, who is an artist, who has been where you've been, and who has gone through the rigors and who has a ton of beautiful information to share with you. And I want you to basically just keep your minds, your hearts, everything open to ready to receive it i don't want to hear you say you can't because you just told me i can i want i don't want you to tell me that you won't because you just told me you will mm. and i don't want you to tell me that somebody is better than you or you're not smarter than because you didn't say that because you said i am and i want you to understand who you are is beautiful and it's perfectly imperfect and I want you to be the best person you possibly can be. So let's get ready to engage in this work on what you're going to do. And I want to take you on a journey that you may have never seen before. But if you will follow this journey and you open your heart and your mind to it, I believe that you shall be transformed. And you will look back upon this day that we have interacted and you will thank me. But you would thank yourself of trusting your own self to be able to take the steps to move forward. So are you ready? That's what I would say to them. Ooh, we. That's positive. Wow. That's powerful. I love that. Wow. So before we go, Marcus, you got anything else? No. I mean, we should end it on that. We should, man. <laughs> Godly. I mean, you got to shut it down. Hey, how Because next time, no, we're going to talk to you again. But this is going to be on Zoom. Because I want people to see you, hear yep. you, feel you. So how can people see your art? 
Absolutely. Well, you can see my artwork in m- multiple ways. I mean, one of the ways is through an, a gallery called Just Looking Gallery. And it's located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, another way in which you can see my work is through Black Art in America. Um, another way to see my work, and that, that's located in Columbus, Georgia. Another way to see my work is through a, a gallery called Zucot. And it's spelled Z-U-C-O-T. And it's out of Atlanta. And then I have another gallery down in New Orleans that represents my work, and it's called Stella Jones Gallery. Okay. You're and a bad man. You are a bad <laughs> You are an inspiration. Indeed, man. indeed, brothers. No, this is wonderful. I'm so glad to be able to share here with you. And um, anytime, I'm, I'm open and um, to, to chop it up and to share about this journey, um, to share about the work. Um, and... Um, you know, my, my passion, definitely, I'm glad you asked me that question. My passion is with the youth. Um, because one thing that I learned from that professor that I mentioned, his name is John Scott. Um, he had a habit that you would do whenever you, he, he was a very, very giving person and he would give you things. And our typical response to someone who give you something is you would say, thank you. Yes. And tip, our typical response to that is you would say, you're welcome. He mm-hmm. never said, you're welcome. He oh. always said, pass it on oh. and the first time I heard him say that it disrupted me internally <laughs> because I was expecting him to say you're, you're welcome <laughs> he didn't give me what I expected he gave me something even far greater which is said pass it on because that told me what he gave me was of, of deep value and he shared it with me not to it or to bury the gift that he gave it to then knowing that that value that I got that I need to pass that value on to the next person and so that's that's the philosophy that I've adopted in my walk or anyone uh, that's very meaningful so thank you for giving me to pass it on hey you're coming back you're always welcome to come back on our show I have another brother named Christopher he's a um He's an architect. He's uh, he builds buildings. He's a wonderful architect. He's a matter of fact, he's a partner in his firm. He's going to be pissed off that I didn't invite him on this show. <laughs> well, we got to get on the next time together yeah. and chop it up. Let's do that. Okay, sure. <laughs> Steve, I want to thank you. Marcus, I want to thank you. Thank you for listening to the No Sense of Direction podcast. And leave your questions and your comments. Steve, normally when I end this, I tell people they can always leave a question and a comment on this app on in our little Dropbox. So I'm hoping people will ask you a question so I can get back with you so the next show you can answer their question. Yep. Oh, that sounds like power. Like power. <laughs> so so grateful to be podcast with you and um and uh and to be able to time together. So this is this is very meaningful to me. So thank you. Okay. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next show. All right. Have a good day. God bless. Oh, indeed. Bye.